my man Adam Graham is back on the podcast. What's going on, dude? <laughs> uh, everything's going on. Everything's going on. Everything's going on. Well, uh, I wanted to have you on a podcast today because we're going to talk. We're going to do a deep dive, as they say. It's it's a industry term. We're going to do a deep dive into <laughs> the film Detroit because uh, I know that you um, did not get a chance really to talk about it on our on the show last week and critically speaking on Fox because you were where? I was in uh, I was in. Was I was in Norway and I was in Sweden on vacation. Holy crap, dude! Who who just goes to Norway yeah. and Sweden? Uh, well, uh, when you have when you have grand ambitions of seeing the places where your favorite pop music comes from, sometimes you have to uh, buy a plane ticket and make a pilgrimage. Now, uh, on that note, too, did you you saw some groups out there, right? Or didn't you see some performances? I did. I saw uh, I saw Alice Cooper play a oh, uh, play at an amusement park in in Stockholm, and I saw <laughs> um, I saw Robbie Williams, and Robbie Williams is always been one of my favorite favorite singers. And I mean, he never made it over here in the states, and so uh, he just doesn't tour here. And so I had to uh, I had to go to the source if I wanted to see Robbie Williams, and he was uh, he was really fun. It was really fun to finally see. Alice Cooper playing an amusement park sounds pretty sad. Like I, I'm picturing like like families just kind of strolling their kids by, and he's just kind of sitting outside with like his hat uh, upside down with like cash in it. Is it is this is this would, the venue? You, you you would think that. Um, but Grona Lund, which is a uh, an amusement park on the water in Stockholm, is home to many of uh, pop music's biggest acts. Uh, Elton John played there earlier this summer. The Cardigans opened the season. Uh, who's Brad Paisley? I mean, it's it's like their it's like their pine knob out there. Just happens to be a music park, and they uh, they pack it out. I was I was bummed when I saw that the Cardigans opened the season. Had I known that, I might have switched my uh, travel plans to May. But Ghost, the Swedish metal band, is uh, is closing the season out there at Corona Lund. And uh, it was uh, it was quite fascinating to see to watch Alice Cooper as um, you know roller coasters cruise by in the background. <laughs> and Alice has still got man. I don't know if Alice was like seventy four. I, I don't want to throw him under the bus by saying he's older than <laughs> but I feel like he's up there in age. But he still sells it, man. Every bit, every bit. He he sells every move. So uh, yeah, I think his Wikipedia it, page is still claiming that he's like forty one. So he just <laughs> blew the cat out of the bag there. Um, well, cool, dude. Well, that's cool. It's good to have you back, though. But I know that what sucked, one thing that sucked about you going, the timing of it was that they, at the last minute, you know, Detroit, of course, opens, the film Detroit opens wide across the country um, August 4th. But uh, in, in Detroit, where we are both located, uh, they moved up the kind of like the premiere, the red carpet premiere, and the, the opening of the film in this market got moved up to the week that you were gone. Um, yeah. How bummed were you that you weren't able to you know, take uh, place in those festivities. Uh, it was, it was, it was bad timing. Um, I booked this trip like back in November. Um, and when I saw that this was starting to line up, it just seemed kind of like classic. The one week I'm gone, like they decided to stage a gigantic Hollywood premiere in town. <laughs> that happens all um, the time, right? They do that for a lot of movies around here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was just, it's just wild. Um, but hey, it happens. You roll with it. And I, and for, I don't know, for that reason, I, I, still, I feel slightly disconnected sure. um, to the movie and to everything that kind of surrounded it. Um, 
but I mean, of course, I saw it. I got to talk to uh, Captain Bigelow on the phone, and uh, so so in those respects, um, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and coverage of it continues to roll on. It's an important it's an important film for the region, uh, especially as it, as it rolls out this weekend to uh, to all theaters, to all markets. I thought you had more pull in this town too, dude. Couldn't you just talk to Catherine on the phone and, and just explain to her that you were going to be gone that week and that they need to hold it off? I tried, and uh, <laughs> once she learned that I wasn't going to be around, she tried to change everything, <laughs> but it was um, too late to move everything. Darn it. All right, man. Well, like you said, so um, now is your chance to kind of get all your all your thoughts out of the way on this film, Detroit. So. Uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit later in the show too. You know, last time I talked to you, you were just starting the the '90s on Maple uh, series. I know you just did another one of those, uh, so we'll chat a little bit about that later. And I also get your take on um, some of the movies opening this weekend, like The Dark Tower, which we both just saw last night, and uh, and maybe Kidnap. Wow, was that fun to watch with you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, let's get back to Detroit for a second. Um, so yeah, just start off. Give us give us the the Adam Graham uh, take on on the film Detroit. Well, I think that it is um, it's it's very intense um, and it's very um, claustrophobic, mm-hmm. and you kind of can't um, you kind of can't leave this this one section of the film that is kind of the main section of the film, the Algiers motel um incident. In I don't know I I don't know how long that was in the movie. I I thought it was about seventy minutes. Maybe it was only like forty. Right. Um but it's uh it's like you can't leave and it's and it's it's like sweaty and it's it's difficult and that's kind of that that's kind of the whole film. I think that there's a there's there's a good build up that scene um it kind of it sets the scene for like you know race in inner cities in america and this opening animated sequence that kind of sets up the the detroit riots pretty well um and then you get into this motel scene and it's just brutal for a long time and then after that the kind of air is let out of the movie and it doesn't finish it doesn't finish very strong. Um, you you go into some yeah. court scenes that don't really work and play kind of um, you know routine, showy kind of unbelievable court scenes. Court scenes. I always have a problem with court scenes in movies. Um, so often they just don't work, and well, here they really let the air out of the movie. Especially um, because what like you just described, like especially after what we just went through, like it, it seems like uh, anticlimactic. Yeah, it really does. Um, you go from you know this this motel where it's where it's kind of dark, and I mean it's dark both you know physically like light wise and and thematically it's like ooh, and then you go into these court scenes that it's like lit different. It's a totally different feel, um, and it, it it just it's a real it's a real jarring switch. And all of a sudden you're in an episode of like Law and Order. <laughs> Uh, and then afterwards, you follow through with this one character, um, who's played by Algie Smith. It's great. Yeah. Um, Algie Smith's great in the movie. Um, but you're like, oh, okay, we're just following up on this guy. It seems almost um, unearned dramatically how we just figure on this one character. And I guess if you look at the whole film, 
when you start with the animated sequence that tells the story and you kind of hyper-focus the whole time and you end up on one character, that makes sense from a kind of arc standpoint, but I, I don't, I feel like it's unearned. Um, and you're like, oh, why are we just on this guy? And I feel like while as intense as the, uh, the Algiers scene is, um, and the characters feel uh, a little bit um, almost generic. You, you don't really know who they are or their motivations. There's a couple of women, one of them played by uh, or girls, I guess. I don't know their teens, young 20s. Um, one of them played by the great Caitlin Dever. Uh, but you're just like, who are these people? And kind of there's a lot of people in this book that are like, oh, who are they? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're just kind of like stand-ins. Um, so I, character-wise, I, I, I don't think it works. Intensity-wise, especially in the Algiers, it, it's pretty riveting stuff. It's pretty hard to watch stuff. Um, I don't know. Overall, I give some of B. And um, it's a B and I, in, I, I, may, boy, I might right? be even gone. I'm sorry? A B is in boy. Like... Yeah, B yeah, and boy. Um and I I probably could have even gone B minus. Um Okay. But I, I don't think it's uh I, I don't know if it's gonna be one that, that, that we're that we're talking about at the end of the year in, in, in the year ten up. Hmm. Um I think that L G Smith is definitely a contender for like, you know, a breakthrough actor. I think this guy's got a real magnetism. Um but yeah, you know, maybe I was slightly disappointed by the movie, uh, overall. I, I was really looking for something that was going to be overarching. Um, I, I think that calling the film Detroit is obviously more marketable than calling it the Algiers Motel, but it's yeah. the Algiers Motel story. It's not necessarily the Detroit story. That said, I think that we as Detroiters are very close to this thing, and you know, I think a lot of people would like a story that tells more about the city or even what happened during the riots. Uh, but then I think if you look at something like... Um, I don't know if you were going to make a movie about the Pulse nightclub shooting in uh, Orlando last year. You'd probably call that movie Orlando because you associate the tragedy with the city that it takes place in. And, you know, Pulse nightclub isn't that magnetic a title, just like Algiers Motel well, isn't that magnetic a title. But the argument, so in Detroit, you're yeah. like, oh, wow, that's the story of this. The argument there, though, is is that kind of the baggage that the city of Detroit has. You know, for years it's kind of been the national, um, you know, punching bag of, you know, of, you know, the crime, you know, capital of America and kind of all of these negative connotations where, uh, you know, a city like Orlando is usually uh, – you know, thought of uh, a little bit different light, you know, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that yeah, up, though, I, about the title. Um, but do you think that in in some ways, though, that it's kind of exploiting Detroit, to call it Detroit and then have it be this really focused story? Because it really is, isn't even a movie about the riots, to be honest. It's kind of they set up the riots as kind of like the backdrop uh, for this terrible incident. Um, but it's really it doesn't really tell you much else about the riot. Um, I think I think that it's fair to call it Detroit because it it's it's a place it took place in Detroit. It's a Detroit story, and it's a Detroit story. Um, I also think it's slightly. I, I do think it's cashing in on a, on some of that baggage. Detroit Detroit's explosive as a title. Um, you're like, oh wow, it, it, it's like. I mean, just in terms of marketing, it's a better move. And I do think that you're right that because of the connotations of the city and what it's been through, um, it makes it kind of, uh, 
you know a, a, a jarring thing. It's it, Detroit as a, as an entity is 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 just kind of um, it, it owns those things that that, that you said it did. Yeah. So um, I, I don't I don't fault them for calling it that. Nor is it uh, I don't think it's it's that misleading. But I mean it slightly is because I, I think after in the movie after the Algiers incident, you never really come back to the city or tell right. the story of what else happened in the riots. And I think that that's a fault of the film uh when you're in it you're like okay well you know when we get past this we're going to see what else is going on or how how everything how this relates to everything else in the city and no you kind of jump to the court case six months later um and it's it narratively it it doesn't it doesn't connect yeah um, to the city so i I understand why it's called detroit uh and i I think it's a multi-pronged thing and i do think that we tend to be oversensitive here in detroit about things like this um, but I think that's fair. Uh, I get it, um, and, and I and I get that uh, Detroit's a lightning rod, and you know if they can use that to their advantage, then you know I can't entirely fault them. Well, and of course, you know, the, an intellectual viewer, you don't really have to point this out, but I, you know, just in case, uh, you know, we should point this out anyway. Though for for a lot of you know uh, the movie going public across the nation, you know. This really isn't a Detroit. I mean, the the purpose of Catherine Bigelow making this film isn't really. Yes, it is a story about Detroit, but the themes in this movie are things that are going on today across the country, across the world. You know, these aren't uh, these aren't problems that uh, were birthed in Detroit or you know started here or or are only uh, you know owned by Detroit. These are universal kind of uh, things about you know power structure and, and the racism and uh, you know the police you know, things like that. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that's important to kind of mention that as well. Uh, but I, I agree with you. As far as the the ending, I thought that they could have just ended the film after the whole hotel and the motel scene. Like, I didn't even think it needed that whole last half hour, really. Yeah, I'm not sure. If you, and yes, of course, the reason why the film is being made is because the, the incidents in the film are... I mean, it, it, even if this is like, you know, this film coincides with the 50-year anniversary of the film or, or, or of the incident. And, I mean, even at the 40-year anniversary, I mean, you, you weren't seeing the same kinds of things cropping up so often that you're seeing today. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a weird syncopation that, um, you know, with Michael Brown and with, with all these other incidents of, of cops and and uh, African-Americans and, um, you know, white officers being uh, acquitted. So many acquittals of, of, of white officers in these instances. That's what makes the film timely. And it's kind of, you know, it's about, like, here's where we were in 67. Here's where we are in 2017. What's different? Not much. And so that's, that's, what, that's what gives it its relevancy. It's not a historical document. It's not like, oh, look what was going on in 67. It's like, yeah, look what was going on in 67. Look what's going on now. Um, it's the same thing. Why does this keep happening? Yes, it's, it's power, it's structure, it's race, it's uh, it's all these things. It's uh, boiling over then, it's boiling over now. Um, right. And that, that's, that's what makes the movie, that's what gives it uh, relevance today. Now, you and, know, and that's apparent. It's, uh, you know, some of, another criticism that the movie has faced, though, too, is, you know, is this the story really uh, that you would want to boil down and pull out of, out of the Detroit riots, you know, neither of us were alive uh, when this happened, of course. 
and uh, you know we're we're you know who better than to discuss this film anyway than two white guys from the suburbs, right? Uh, but <laughs> but you know the the point being that a lot of people see this as a missed opportunity of a film because it could have talked more about the over the overlying picture. Uh, you know, and the the problems more of the city and the, thing, the, the actual things that led to the rioting and the, the uh, injustices and things like that, that to boil it down to simply this story, do you think that this was a missed opportunity in any way for the filmmakers to kind of tell uh, a larger story about a, fil- a, a thing that's happened that hasn't really gotten a lot of, um, especially in the movies, I mean, the Detroit riots haven't really been told or shown? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. This is the story that they wanted to tell. And this is the story that, um, I mean, it's not, um, it's not the screenwriter's job. It's not Catherine Bigelow's job to come in and make a movie about the Detroit Reds. They want to make the movie that they want to make and they want to tell the story that they want to tell. And so this is that story. It was either this or, you know, it could have been something completely different about something that happened in Cincinnati in 1979. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is, this is the story. It's not their, um, I don't know if they set out to make a Detroit riot movie. Um, I think they set out to tell the story of the Algiers Motel. And I think in that instance, that was a, that was a story that I didn't know about. Sure. I didn't know about the Algiers uh, leading into all of this. And so I think that it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a good distillation of a, of an incident that takes place as, as part of a larger um, happening in a city. I think, you know, we, we, it's, I think it's difficult. It would be very difficult to tell the story of the entirety of the Detroit riots. And, I mean, that's a, that's a miniseries sure. or that's a, that's a multi-part. You would um, almost have to boil it down to something. You'd have to, you know, kind of yeah. hone in on something. Yeah, so they extrapolate this story. I, I, think that's, um, I think that's as good as an entry point as any. Um, and, again, it's kind of it's, – it's their job to tell a story. And it's not their job to tell the story of – you know, the riots or what happened. And I think, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, you can tell a lot of different stories. Like, look at World War II, man. Like, obviously, it's spread out over however many years, but there's, you know, there's yeah. been 35,000 movies made about it, and you can keep making movies. It doesn't have to be the only movie about the Detroit riots. You can make seven more movies from, you know, a bunch of different perspectives. This is just one. So, uh, knowing you, I know that the Adam Graham uh, scale at, on the, at the Detroit News, as far as your grade scale that you give movies, I know that you basically consider a B minus or above a thumbs up, and, and kind of like a C plus would be like a mild thumbs down, uh, as as we you know if you're boiling it down again to a, a thumb up or a thumb down, as many of us do. Yeah. But uh, this movie, you said you gave a B, but you could have given it a B minus, which means that you, they're there must have been more things than just the courtroom scene. I mean, was it just the unevenness of that? Is that what knocked it down all that way? Were there other things? Like, what are the other things about the film that you uh, were not happy with or did not like? Well, like I said, I think the characters weren't really there. Um, I don't think you knew enough about the officers. I don't think you knew enough about the patients at the hotel. Um, I think that the links with, um, you know, the dramatics and what was happening with, Mm-hmm. The Motown scene were kind of there, but I don't know how much any of it was really expounded on, or how much you really felt like you knew the people. Like I, the the girls in particular, you're just like, well, there are two girls from Ohio, and maybe that's all they were. But I, I felt like I wanted to know more about how long they were in the city for, just who they were, and I, I felt like the characters weren't um, as strong as they could be, uh, and, and, and that's 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 what hurt it. I think that there was, you know, the the narrative arc and the kind of 
lack of um, getting to know who these people were that did not sit down. This is a minor thing, too, but it's something I noticed when I watched it, and maybe you can tell me if you agree or not, but a, a lot of movies that are based on a true story, a lot of times the film will start the movie off by telling you that. You know, you'll see a graphic and it'll say, you know, the following is based on a true story. This movie... Um, curiously kind of has a, a graphic that comes at the end of the film that says basically we uh, we were never you know people were never able to really tell us exactly what went down at the Algiers Motel so a lot of the film um, kind of uh, dramatized what might have happened the way the way that that kind of played out for me for some re- for some reason that graphic coming at the end of the film kind of took away from what I had just seen because like you said it's so powerful you go through this whole experience and then it, by the end it's like oh yeah by the way this might or may or may not have happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, did you, did you notice that at all? Yeah, you're, you're right. It is kind of, um, it was kind of like, a, oh. <laughs> then you're okay. wondering what parts were, yeah, what parts were dramatized, what parts were real. Remember that, what was that terrible movie we saw about the, um, oh, the Irish peace talks? Was it The Journey? Oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, uh, in, in, in the, the car. Beginning, yeah. Yeah, in the beginning it said, like, Hey, this may have been the way it happened. Like I told you right at the outset, like this is probably not at all what happened. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. And had that had that message come at the end, you would have been like, "What?" <laughs> um, so I, I think that you're right. You you can compare those two right off the bat. And if it would have told you at the at the at the onset, I think it might have it might have taken away from uh, the supercharged intensity of those. Uh, inside Algiers scenes. It's almost one of those things that might not have been necessary. Any, you know, it's a, it, we all kind of know we're watching a movie. You know what I mean? Like, I, right. I guess some of the times it's not really... I mean, it, I guess I like that, to not to get off on a tangent, but, like, when they show that graphic, it should be something that, like, seems like it would be fiction. Like, it's so crazy that it seems like it should be, uh, you know, like it's a made-up story, but, like, the, they need to remind you, like, no, this actually happened. Like, this movie... <laughs> about this crazy incident like actually happened at some point a movie like this though we all know the detroit riots happened um we know it's a movie we know we're not watching a documentary so it's kind of like defeats the purpose to even throw that in there it's almost like they're saving their own ass because they know that there's going to be a backlash coming about the you know the truth that's in the movie yeah I, that, that's an interesting way to look at it and i i agree with what you're saying like we know that we're watching fictionalized account and we kind of we know that we know what what it means to be watching a film about a fictionalized account. You know, like um, I didn't expect that every word spoken was verbatim the word spoken. I know that I'm watching, you know, a dramatization of the event. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if you need that. Like, you know, the the Tupac movie I think took more liberties with Pac's life, but you you never felt the need. You knew that you were watching the movie about Pac, and so it wasn't right. going to be like, oh, he said this to Jada Pinkett at this time on this doc. <laughs> like, you just kind of, you, you, you roll with it. It's a movie. Exactly. And well, let's talk about the good things about the movie, too, though. So you mentioned, you know, earlier, L.G. Smith, who I, I totally agree, uh, had a great performance. The other guy I thought, my king of the box office last week on the air on Fox was uh, the entire cast of Detroit, because I just thought, I thought everybody really kind of, made the movie but i especially thought will poulter uh like what a crazy role to take on <laughs> i mean 
this guy has to walk down the street after filming this movie. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's a kind of movie, the kind of performance that makes you hate the actor. Like, you know, you might see him in another movie and be like, oh, my God, that's that scumbag uh, guy from the Detroit movie. Uh, well, I hate them anyway. I hate them to begin with. I hate those eyebrows, and I hate them <laughs> in Weird Miller. I just always thought that he's been a weird kid. I thought that, like, this this, this gave him a, a good role. I didn't know he had that kind of heel underbelly to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought he was going to be kind of like an off-putting goof um, like that. Like, in Weird Miller, to just cast such a weird, yeah. you know, it's like, who is this kid? <laughs> uh, this, yeah, this, this is the best thing. This is the best thing he's done. The rest of the cast, I don't know if it really gelled for me. I thought Algie was great, but like, I, Boyega, I thought was a was a was a was a missed opportunity. So many like Anthony Mackie, like all of a sudden he's there. Like, wait, why aren't we getting more Anthony Mackie? Um, and then a lot of the other faces, I think, just all kind of blended together. Um, I'm not sure that the cast made it. I think that Algie and Will Poulter stood out, but the rest of it, then Krasinski shows up with a bad haircut. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I thought that those two stood out. There was the rest of the cast that helped. Like, one, uh, one glaring example, though, that I guess goes against my theory. If I could redo my King of the Monks office, I would give it to the entire cast of Detroit minus John Krasinski. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, he's still, to me, dude, he's just Jim from The Office, you know? Like, And so when he comes into the movie and his first line is, like, the cliched, you know, lawyer, like, you know, don't say another word. You know, kind of yeah, thing. It's just, yeah. you're, I'm like, what? What's he doing in this movie? Um, yeah, totally. But, like, dude, I thought, like, down down to even, like, the person, like, you talk about Will Poulter's look, but he, like, he kind of looks like a dude from the 60s. Like, if you watched old movies or something, like, he looks like a guy who kind of, like, would have appeared in one of those old movies. Uh, even the guy doing yeah. the interrogation with John Boyega, like, that guy just looks like he was, like, picked right out of, an, you know, the, the era kind of a thing. Uh, so I just thought that they kind of did a good job filling out those kind of minor roles that you didn't really pay attention to, but they really kind of helped sell. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I would agree. And um, I think, of, of course, when you get a filmmaker like Catherine Bigelow, you're going to get the feel of the feel of the era, the feel of kind of what she's, what she's presenting. And I think that all those details were, were really well done. What else about this movie do you want to – tell people or talk about is there anything else that we haven't hit on that you think is important for people to know i mean this is definitely one that you recommend people go check out and and, and talk about it's, it's one of definitely one of those movies that's good to kind of process with other people uh but anything else you want to say about it um i guess i wish that the song at the end was better <laughs> what, uh, what is the know, song like at the end the roots featuring Bilal. i don't know i okay i, I think that um it would have even like Selma had that common and John Legend song, and which I'm I'm not crazy about that song, but I still hear it a lot. Um, and glory, glory. Uh, it's just sort of like I don't know. I well, I guess I I guess I just I'm I'm interested to see how this how this gets how this gets played out over award season. Um, I don't know if Al G shows up. Uh, I guess I guess it depends on what the rest of the field is like going forward in the year. But I have a feeling we're not going to. I, I have a feeling that this is going to be nominated for best picture. I guess you know there's ten nominees, and it depends on how it does at the box office. Depends on how, you know, what else comes out in the fall. But I'm not sure. I think that where this was once a kind of, um, you know, one of the one of the films that we were really looking forward to in terms of like being an awards contender. 
yeah, from that perspective, I think it was that, kind that, of a disappointment. That, yeah, that status is kind of a, I don't know if it's a sure thing. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out or if we're still talking about it at the end of the year. But I think that, um, especially locally, I think that everyone's going to see it and everyone's going to have an opinion. I think it will be a talker. Um, I, I don't know how much it's going to move the needle yeah. uh, nationally. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the critical response has been kind of like almost exactly what you're saying. It's It's been positive, but not like overwhelming praise. You know, uh, people are kind yeah, of falling I think in the B range. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of bees. Yeah, a lot of th- three three and a half stars. Not a lot of fours. Right. Not a lot of A's. Um, I think that every like I think it's got ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But again, uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is a pass fail. I think right. everyone agrees that it passes. I don't know if everyone agrees that it's uh, you know the best movie here. Exactly. Well. The the last question I have for you on Detroit, which is kind of an interesting, you know, kind of political one, which is, you know, you're the, of course, if people don't know, they should. Adam Graham is the current president of the Detroit Film Critics Society. Um, the former president, of course, you know, you, you had big shoes to fill. So we understand that, you know, it's a tough job. But how does how does the how does the Detroit Film Critics Society not award a film called Detroit. Do you, do you think that there's any kind of like politics involved in, in us having to kind of include this just be out of necessity? Don't you think from a national perspective, people would be like, wait, the Detroit film critics society didn't award Detroit. Um, I think absolutely not. I think that there's, there's no such, um, favoritism to be shown. I think that it would almost be, um, Unprofessional or short-sighted, to yeah. Try, yeah, or biased to to show it um, favoritism because its title is you know the our local region. Um, I, I think the film is a film, and it should be judged on its own merits. And I think that you know it's probably top of mind um, because of you know where we are. But I think that you know. The Dark Tower has just as good a shot by merits of its, you know, it, everything should be judged on its own. And so I don't, I don't think that this gets more play because of that. I think it, you know, if it, if it, if it gets something, it's because it earned it, not because of geographic favorites, geographical favorites. Well, two other huge movies coming out this week that I'm sure we'll be talking about during award season are Kidnap and The Dark Tower. Yes. What what, uh, yeah. what can you tell us about these movies that hit theaters this weekend? Uh, they're both really bad. <laughs> That's all people need to know, really. And yeah, I mean, listen, we're a couple of years ago. The first weekend in August was propped up by Guardians of the Galaxy, and all of a sudden, August was in play mm-hmm. for blockbuster season. Like, whoa, game changer. Um. Now we're back to kind of the dog days of August, uh, the dog days of summer coming at the end. And uh, this is this is as bad a weekend as we've had all summer in a summer that's been a bad summer for movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is a bad weekend. Dark Tower is a is a pretty shot not shocking. This is a pretty dismal failure, um, I would say, in its kind of uh, trying to bring this 
Stephen King series to big screen. It's like it's a it's a it's a pretty incoherent mess. And then Kidnap got <laughs> saddled on this weekend. This Halle Berry kidnapping thriller. Um, I think it was in the movie. There was one point where you can see like a, a registration tag on a on a windshield or like something some identifier and it was like December two thousand fifteen. Yeah. I, it was supposed to come out in January two thousand sixteen and it had, <laughs> you know, a couple missed release dates since this they're just dumping this thing and it's it's really not noteworthy for anything other than being like a, you know, uh Halle Berry hasn't had the greatest post Oscar career, but no. this is I mean, this is kind of I guess Keeping in line with where we where we're putting Halle Berry movies these days, yes. um, it's a completely unremarkable kidnapping thriller that really can't even can't even be bothered to come up with a kidnapping plot. <laughs> like this, yank the kid, and then it's a chase. There's yeah. there's nothing else going on. It's 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 really um, it's really it's it's poorly made. It's poorly, it's a poorly made in it. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not a great weekend. The movie. It's almost uh, that been a dark tower. I didn't, it wasn't great, but it definitely wasn't good. But, uh, the kidnap is almost there's a, cause I think I've heard you talk about this before. Cause you, you, you talked a bunch about book of Henry, for example, that I have, which I still haven't seen, but there's a threshold that a movie is so bad that it becomes like you have to go watch it because it's that bad. Like Kidnap is almost bad enough to where it, w- it was kind of fun um, joking with the other critics um, throughout the film. Like it kind of made <laughs> it enjoyable uh, how bad it was. Whereas Dark Tower was just kind of like disappointingly bad. Um, D- Dark Tower, I would put, and I know that you liked The Mummy, which is weird. <laughs> um, of course but... I did. It's 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 like it's mummy style. It's like you know, it's just kind of like I would say it's worse than the mummy because I think it's a bit more of a of a flop, yeah. um, a bit more of a failure um, to present this kind of this world. Now, kidnap. I I don't. If you saw Book of Henry, which is one of your great flaws that you have yet to see it, <laughs> um, you would understand how truly outrageous that movie is and how truly fun it becomes because of its insanity. Kidnap is just kind of a dumb movie. <laughs> Sad, but like, sadly, I mean, it, it was okay to laugh at, but it wasn't like super, I would never, I wouldn't recommend anybody go see Kidnap to laugh at it. I would recommend every single person that has any <laughs> sort of an interest in film, go see the Book of Henry to laugh at it. Because it's, laughing at the Book of Henry was one of the, the best times I've had as a musician. Speaking of a good time at the movies, look at that segue. Uh, That's amazing. The '90s at Ma- on Maple, or '90s at Maple, yeah. '90s on Maple, '90s on Maple, '90s on Maple. The series. This is, if you do not know, which I know that you do, this is a uh, series that Adam Graham of the Detroit News is uh, hosting. Uh, it's a once a month thing where we're, he's showing uh, kind of uh, movies from the '90s each year, one at a time, right? Uh, starting with 1990. So we in 1990 film uh, was what. What was it, and what? How did that go? 1990, we played Goodfellas. We kicked off the series with the greatest movie ever made. And from there, where'd you go? We, you, from there, if you're me, you go right to 1991 and the last Boy Scout. The last Boy uh, Scout, which is a great pick. Classic Tony Scott 
macho action film written by the great Shane Black, uh, <laughs> whose uh, whose dialogue still just absolutely crackles. Now, um, I was really nervous about this movie. Yeah. I didn't know how it was going to play. I thought that people were going to be like, dude, why are you showing up Black Boy Scout? Um, <laughs> but it turns out that it was really fun, and like everybody in the audience really, really dug it. And it, it made me happy. Um, and I think that mainly it's because of that, that screenplay um, that, that just really is, is, is alive with a uh, with, with – a, I mean, I think you could study this, this screenplay. I think when, when, when the screenplay was sold um, – Back in the back in the you know ninety ninety one whenever whenever the movie was made ninety one whenever the movie was getting you know whenever Shane Black wrote it it was it sold for one point five million dollars which at the time was the highest uh, sale for a screenplay in Hollywood ever hmm. um, and this film went on to have like a legendarily troubled production uh, Tony Scott didn't get along with Joel Silver um, he ended up making Lee Donowitz's character in True Romance a parody of Joel Silver and the way that he acts. Um, Bruce Willis didn't get along with Damon Wayans. Uh, Damon Wayans ended up not having a film career. Uh, it's kind of like an interesting time capsule from 91, and also it's a movie that's coming off the macho 80s. Uh, it's kind of, you know, action movies didn't get made in the 90s the same way they did in the 80s, and so you're kind of you're, you're dealing with this in-betweener probably didn't really know what it was. It ended up being a very interesting movie, and it's still a fun movie, and Bruce Willis is really good as a total, total loser, um, total lowlife who wakes himself up in the morning by staring himself in the mirror and saying that you're a loser and everyone hates you. Uh, the Last Boy Scout still plays, so I was very, I was very happy to... Um, and Halle Berry was in it, so there's another connection. There you go. Um, one of the most played, unforgettable uh, uh, opening sequences ever. I, I, I'll never forget watching that as a kid, just like the, fo- the football sequence where the dude pulls the gun out as he's, like, running down the field, right? Yes, and it's also it's, – it's, it's total monsoon during this football game, yeah. which is classic Tony Scott. He ended up <laughs> staging a, a, a baseball sequence in the end of the stand that took place during, like, a hurricane. It's like, uh, hey, Tony Scott, in baseball they have rain delays. But he didn't think you let that reality bother him. Tony Scott's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, so to be able to show one of his movies um, really yeah. warm my heart. There's also uh, Taylor Negron, the great, yeah. the late great Taylor Negron plays plays the villain in uh, the Last Boy Scout. And there's one scene where he gets he's in a car and he gets pulled over, and um, the cop says to him, he goes, uh, "Excuse me, is there a problem here?" And Taylor Negron turns to him, he's like. Yes, officer, there is a problem. This gun has too many bullets. <laughs> it's like classic dialogue like that that, uh, that makes that movie rock. Now, are you watching these movies? Ahead? This is almost 25 years ago now, or 26 years ago this movie was released. Did you Had you seen it recently, or are you just kind of picking these movies from memory and then hoping they play uh, still? Well, in this case, I hadn't seen... I had it in the last Boy Scout probably since 1995 or 1996. It, it had been at least 20 years. Okay. Um, but I um, I remember it, it struck a chord with me the very first time I saw it, and then I, it when I when I revisited it a few years later, I was like, "Damn, that movie holds up and is like it's like it's weirdly really good." And so I always had confidence in it, and um, so I. I, I was I was pleased that it played as well as it did, but I hadn't seen it. I didn't pre-screen it um, to make sure. I just I just knew, I just knew. Um, 
And we're doing 1992 on August 30th, and this is a mo- the movie that we're showing is a movie that I continue to revisit uh, time and again over the years, and I know that it's going to be a classic. Okay, and that's the thing. So, yeah, the series, of course, the, the movies are once a month. The next one you said is August 30th. It's at the Maple Theater in uh, yes. Bloomfield Hills. I expect to see. I expect to see you there. Oh yeah, well hey, well I, you know it, it, it's only a matter of if I can decode the clues and Survivor is Survivor is not on <laughs> on August thirtieth. If I can get some kind of Although hint, a Wednesday night that Braveheart might be your nineteen ninety five movie, I would be much more excited for this your your nineties on. I will. Series. I can guarantee you right here on this podcast that Braveheart will not be my nineteen ninety five. Dude, that, see, so this is one of the huge gaps in your in your. Uh, your movie criticism life is the fact that you have not seen the absolute one of the best movies of all time, of course, Mel Gibson's Braveheart. But uh, I don't know. Man. Well, the, the 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 more you egg me on to see it, the less likely I ever am. <laughs> not at this point, I'm seeing it. I'm not seeing it just to spite you. Which is exactly, by the way, our relationship with most movies. Because a lot of times I'll come into Fox and I'll be like, you know, what did you think of this movie? And you're like, yeah, it was okay. And then I'll say that I I didn't like it or something. And now all of a sudden you <laughs> love the movie. Or vice versa. Exactly. <laughs> I'll like it. And you kind of didn't like it. And then by the end of the night you're just like, I fucking hate that movie. That movie sucked. Wow, we can swear on this podcast? You can swear, dude. I I try to keep it, ple- I try to keep it clean for my... Uh, I know, it's me. My, I usually... Uh, I'm, I'm the one who lowers it, lowers the bar a little bit, but uh, yeah, well. I was just watching the Big Brother feeds, so I, I have. Oh man! Right. Yeah. See, I don't watch the feeds. No, dude, they're explosive this year, man. You gotta watch. I've never been a feeds guy. I mean, you know me. I don't miss Big Brother ever, ever. I've seen every episode since season two. Yeah, um, get back on the Survivor wagon. I've man. never gotten into the feeds. Survivor, you fell out on though. I don't know. That's a whole other podcast. Why Adam Graham doesn't watch Survivor religiously anymore? But too much, too much to watch. Too much to watch, man. But maybe now that I have CBS All Access, perhaps I'll, uh, perhaps I'll get into it. I think I think I can watch old seasons of Parvati on there, can't I? <laughs> you can, dude. They got all seasons on there. Oh, and so oh you're telling me God, you I have you have time Parvati. for like six episodes of Big Brother per week, but you can't fit in the one hour episode of Survivor each week. Got it? Nope, too hard, but. <laughs> Parvati. Parvati Shallow. Have you, have you, talked to, you talked to Parvati, yes? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yep. So lucky. Yep. I tried to put in a good word for you, What's but... What's now? What's that? What's she doing now? Parvati does all kinds of... She's still involved in Survivor stuff. I think she does, like, a... She hosts a show about it, and, like, an after show. And, uh... I think she just got married recently, dude. Oh, I need to follow her on Instagram. You do. you do. But anyway, man, uh... 90s on Maple, check it out. The next one coming up, we're already to 1992. Uh, you're going to put some clues out. You're going to put some clues out as to what the film is on Twitter, right? Clues will be on Twitter and the Instagrams. We're going to get you some clues. We're going to, 1992, man, it's a, I'm telling you, like, this is one of the movies that, that defined my tastes. That's scary. It's an important one. I can't wait to see what it is. Uh, well, no. dude, again, uh, you know, thanks. Why don't you tell people where they where they can find you on the, on the Twitter and on the Instagram? Um, I am on the socials at Gramarama, G-R-A-H-A-M-O-R-A-M-A. Fantastic. They can also find you. Uh, you have a written full review of all the movies that we talked about today, right? Uh, Detroit, uh, Dark Tower, Kidnap will probably be – those will come out on Friday, uh, I'd imagine. 
Yes. Um, you can find my reviews of the Detroit News. Um, my review of Detroit is up. Others will follow on Friday. And uh, you can you can always find me on Rotten Tomatoes. Just click on my name and you'll probably see every review I've ever written. That's a scary proposition. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you can also find Adam on Critically Speaking on uh, Fox 2 every Friday at 6.30 p.m. and on Saturday mornings at 9.30 a.m., He's the guy in the box on the left. And, uh, yeah, man. Well, thank you uh, for talking Detroit, dude. And, uh, glad to have you back from, uh, overseas. No, no problem. No thank problem you. getting back into the country, huh? Uh, no issues. Um, I did have a couple of long layovers, but every, every border agent was very kind to me and happy to see me returning to, uh, to North America. Well, you speak English, so that's what they're looking for these days. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, Adam, thanks again for ha- having or coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you probably tomorrow, dude. <laughs> thanks, Tom. All right, man. Peace.